0: At the Indian Institute of Science, several timely research and technology development projects have been initiated to address problems arising from the current COVID-19 pandemic. However, due to lockdowns and the reduced functioning of the world overall, the researchers are facing difficulties in disseminating the results of their work. Through this series of informal conversations with some of the researchers and scientists behind some of these projects, we hope to gain an understanding of the what, the how, and how does this help of some of these fascinating projects? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this uh, series, uh, this podcast series on innovations from the Indian Institute of Science as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And now we have with us Dr. Tarun Ramha and Dr. Yogesh Simhan. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, gentlemen. We don't know when people would be listening to this, so we shall be considerate of their Time zones. Hi Vivek, uh, thanks for having us. Hi Vivek, glad to be here with you. Thank okay. you so much for joining us. It would be great, I thought, to start with a brief introduction, or a little bit about yourselves, how you came to be here and actually doing the work that we're going to be talking about.
1: Uh, hi, I'm uh, Tarun Rambha, I'm an assistant professor uh, at the Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore, and... Um, I'm uh, a faculty in the civil engineering department. I primarily work on traffic networks, uh, mostly problems related to optimization um, and uh, transport of people and uh, goods. But uh, this was kind of a chance encounter and a detour from my usual work. And we'll, we'll talk about more uh, soon, but that's uh, primarily my area of
2: interest. So uh, I'm Yogesh Simhan. I'm a faculty at the Department of Computational and Data Sciences at ISC. My broad area of interest is on uh, distributed systems, where we look at how can you make use of distributed computing platforms, be they cloud computing clusters, edge devices, even mobile devices for that matter. Can you sort of have them work collaboratively in order to solve problems that are interesting to science, engineering, and society? And we primarily look at it from what are the different algorithms, analytics, software platforms that you can build to uh, sort of, it's almost like a matchmaking between the hardware and the applications that are out there. And uh, this is something I mean, we've applied uh, such techniques, distributed systems techniques, to a variety of different domains in the past. Uh, everything from smart cities to uh, Internet of Things, uh, looking at also thing uh, air quality monitoring and so on. And uh, in many of these cases, you have interesting maybe a societal or a scientific or an engineering problem. But probably this this project we are currently embarked on is the one that has that most closest goes to individuals and a society as a, a large and a community as a, as a whole. So it's a very uh, rewarding experience to apply sort of science and technology with such direct impact. Yeah, I'm sure. That might be a good place to start.
0: How did the two of you and the rest of the team sort of come together and envision this Project, you know, have you all worked together before? Is it something you do regularly, or was it this particular idea that?
1: Yeah, we tried working together. <laughs> it did not happen before this project. So I joined uh, the institute uh, a couple of years ago. So I have some interest in uh, time-dependent graphs because travel traffic uh, is usually, you know, it depends on when do you depart from your home and so on. And Yogesh also has interest in temporal graphs, and we've been trying to collaborate on this topic for a while. And uh, I had some seniors in my lab back when I was a graduate student uh, who were working on uh, epidemics and primarily looking at uh, how air travel affects Know, spread of diseases and so on. So um, again, uh, so I thought I'd uh, just pitch this idea and if uh, Yogesh might be interested. And uh, we also got an um, app developer. Uh, so uh, right. all of that uh, came together and it was after that, it was a rollercoaster ride. For like a month, we were just, uh, you know, working day in, day out, trying to add new features, figure out things, uh, learn about Bluetooth and limitations and get things to work reliably and so on. Fantastic. Yogesh, anything to add?
2: My group were, uh, was probably one of the first affected by the whole uh, pandemic, first-hand basis, because the first primary contact with an IAC was a staff within my lab. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Uh, that, okay. Yeah, that was that just uh, happenstance, I guess. So this, this was a, right. a staff right. uh, who was working on one of our projects, and uh, he had gone home right. to Hyderabad. And on the mm. way back, on a bus ride back from Hyderabad to Bangalore, it turned out that uh, he was in the same bus as someone who was COVID-positive who entered Karnataka, right. and this is I think the first, potentially the first case even within Bangalore. I, or one of yeah, the first I remember cases. reading this. Yeah. I remember reading about this. He got to know uh, two, three days later when I mean, he got called up by the District Surveillance Unit that, hey, you were in the bus right. and he let me know. And uh, that really was the sort of set the ball rolling for the entire machinery within IAC. Till then, it was just a theoretical concept. Like, mm. we, we're prepping and all mm. those things. But literally, within the matter of a few hours, there had been meetings between the senior administration within IAC, calls going back and forth between the uh, health center, the administration, the department chair, and so on. And literally, yeah. the lab was sealed off, and uh, we actually identified who all had come into contact with this staff member. And I was one of them, by the way. I had a 10 minute chat with him. Which meant I was a secondary contact, so uh, I uh, went into a voluntary quarantine <laughs> so, along with them. So yeah. I was in the first cohort of right. uh, quarantine people at IAS, uh, home quarantine. Right. And back then it seemed like uh, good. I don't have to be in the lab. I don't have meetings. <laughs> I can spend my time doing research. Right. So uh, that's sort of the first right. Uh, opportunity. Right. So you don't have the, all the noise around you. You can focus. And for a f- couple mm-hmm. of weeks it was that. Right. You sort of dust off old papers that were half written and you should take them to completion and so on. And then uh, you also start wringing your hands, saying that, oh, all these things are happening, what can someone do, right? It's always someone else is going to fix the problem, right? right. And there's always some right. reason you yeah. can't fix the problem, right? <laughs> there are enough excuses. <laughs> yeah, they, they say opportunity knocks and make sure you open the door. In my case, it was uh, a ring from uh, Tarun, right? And honestly, that's, that's probably one of the best calls I've ever received. And uh, then mm-hmm. it's sort of almost like from being uh, sort of complaining or sort of uh, armchair critiques you sort of instantly transform into engineers solving problems, right? Because that's what we may be scientists, but I always find that I'm a person engineer rather than a scientist. And given a problem, you want to solve the problem. And oftentimes the excuse is that, well, you could solve it as a toy, but uh, is it really feasible or practical to deploy, right? Uh, That's always an excuse not even to start the problem, right? And that's where, I think that's one of the humps that mental humps that I jumped over thanks to the Roan. right? Saying that after the first hour of call, we felt that, hey, this is doable, right? This is not something that's far-fetched. And back then, Mm No one in India was talking about contact, digital contact tracing. I mean, there have been uh, little, little like uh, articles outside India and all that. So it was way before all the other uh, apps out there and eventually are the government. So, so yeah, it, it, really, that, that's sort of the genesis uh, for this whole project.
0: Yeah. Right. Fascinating. So can we just get this out of the way and talk about the name of the app? <laughs> uh, do either of you gentlemen want to announce the name to our listeners? <laughs> Yeah, the app is called uh, Go
1: Corona Go and uh, that's uh, something that was popularized by the one of the ministers in a rally and uh, it was trending that week and uh, mm-hmm. it was just something I scribbled on like one of the pages and we were just chatting and Yogesh said,
0: oh, let's make this the name of the app. Who said scientists and researchers and engineers don't have a sense of humor? Listen to this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fantastic. So what does Go Corona Go actually do, guys? What is it? So this uh, app is uh,
1: primarily a contact tracing app that works on Bluetooth technology. And uh, the idea is if uh, two individuals come close together and both are using the app, it's, uh, you can think of it as like a journal or a diary which has a record of the other devices that the uh, certain device has come close to. And uh, so instead of you having to remember who you came close to, your phone is doing that job for you. And this is particularly useful when you're coming in, uh, you know, proximity with strangers. Let's say you're at a grocery store or um, or at a hospital or a bank or an ATM. So these are the places where you wouldn't know who you interact with. And uh, so that's the primary idea. There are some key distinctions between this app and uh, some other contact tracing apps in the sense that it um, it's a centralized uh, system for storing the data. So many of the contact tracing apps save uh, the data locally on your device and right. only right. when a person tests positive, that device is shared across uh, to the backend and then uh, the, their contacts are alerted. But in this case, mm-hmm. um, we collect the data from each user to the backend. Uh, so there is uh, there are limitations in terms of the geographical extent to which we want the app to be deployed. So we look we are primarily institutional access for usage right. for the app, tents, uh, campuses, IT parks, and that's where you can have good
2: adoption rate for the app. So uh, add to actually uh, Tharan's uh, comment on the name as well. So we've actually come in for a little bit of uh, flag on the name too that's sort of a nice name uh, because some people who might not be familiar with the phrase uh, they are a bit confused they feel that we are cheering the uh, sort of virus oh. rather than sort of driving oh. it so in fact we had to so we actually had to adopt a, okay. a logo where we have a scientist chasing the virus just so that, <laughs> that. You, you get the context yeah. right <laughs> right okay yeah. and okay. also to add to uh, Tharun's point on the whole contact tracing thing right so I mean WHO has as well understood that there are four major pillars to managing COVID right so one is all the preventive preventive measures like wearing masks washing hands and so on uh, and then there is uh, testing contact tracing and quarantining so these are the four major pillars and most of these things are typically done sort of manually uh, with, with a lot of human intervention and uh, One of the means to automate this process is in the context of uh, contact tracing, right? Uh, Through digital contact tracing specifically. Uh, The traditional contact tracing happens by uh, essentially health workers or uh, doctors making a lot of calls, right? Starting from the uh, sort of initial uh, infected person. They might get a list of all the people they've interacted with in the last uh, week or so, make a note of that, maybe how long they interacted with them. And this is all hoping that they even knew the person they were talking to. You could be sort of in a bus, for example, right? So you know, sitting in a, next to someone whom you don't know. Uh, in such cases, it becomes much more difficult, right? And uh, this both introduces gaps in recollection or uh, lack of knowledge, as well as the time taken to do this manual contact tracing it can itself be days together, which means that every minute lost in uh, not identifying identifying the primary contacts is a minute for which they are potentially spreading uh, the virus further right. along, right? So that's why this digital contact station, this notion of having a diary that automatically tracks uh, people, other app users who are near to you, uh, tries to address this gap to a certain extent and makes it more rabbit manage the virus. And when was
0: this actually deployed? I read that you'll have, you'll have actually tried a beta test or, or a test phase at the ISC itself. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I think uh, we did quite
1: a few tests on campus to begin with, uh, and the first version of the app was out in probably a week after we started, you can right? something yeah. around last week of uh, March, I guess, and uh, we pretty much had a release every week, uh, trying to update things, add more features. And one of the big challenges Uh, was that Bluetooth um, is very tricky when it comes to different phone models and you know the Android versions and so on so that's that required a bit of engineering and figuring out you know what uh, works best reliably and uh, Yokesh has a big uh, test lab of devices maybe you can share (laughs) so there's uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, trial and error and learning that went along and uh, campus release uh, officially was June 10th but we had a I think four releases before that
2: we completed. As well. before that, right. I think the first month after we started the project, right, was literally yeah. like a crazy startup mode that we were working on, right? right. Uh, uh, because some of the, uh, me, and Arun, have actually worked with uh, sort of mobile technology to this extent in the past. Mm -hmm. So it was a very steep learning curve for us as uh, as well. Mm -hmm. If you think of just a smartphone as just a computer, that's fine. But there are a lot of these intricacies that come through. And one of the reasons why smartphones have become so popular, I mean, the iOS and the Android ecosystem, is because most apps can be developed and run without much uh, risk, right? So unlike the earlier thing where you had Symbian and Nokia and all those things, where you literally had to develop software per phone model, right? Now you just have two major operating systems and you develop it and run it. But this stops working when it comes to Bluetooth because Bluetooth is hardware. And hardware has a lot of idiosyncrasies specific to phone models, right? So we hit against that. uh, And uh, like I mentioned, we had, I think, four sprints, of one week long each, version 0.1, 0.2, for some reason 0.26, and then 0.3. Uh, right. And each version would actually, it was a week long, and probably the Friday of the week, we would actually release it. And uh, initially, since uh, we wanted this to be a very alpha pilot kind of thing, we actually uh, released these to uh, faculty, not to students, because we felt that students were still more of a bit of a vulnerable population. We didn't want to sort of uh, reach out to them yet. And by then, the lockdown had also started, so students were heading back to home anyway. So uh, I think we just sort of emailed faculty in a few departments initially, and then pretty much all faculty emails that we could hold off. And on a Mm -hmm. weekly basis, we sort of sent out these releases. And even then, there were a bunch of these... Oddball issues that you never expect to have. We didn't have an authoritative list of all faculty and staff on campus. Right. So it took us a couple of days right. to figure out, right, uh, what is the right master list, right? And that took a while. And then uh, the email had to go through some senior administration. It can't be just a couple of junior faculty sending off these emails and saying, hey, install this, right? So, and there are right. a bit of fiasco over there as well, where the email was supposed to go to only faculty, but the uh, it accidentally went out to all people on campus, all 5,000 of them. We had to triage 2,000 emails where people are asking, hey, I need access to the app. I got an email saying that I should install the app. I don't have a link to the app. <laughs> and you oh, have to reply back wow. saying that, no, it's not for you. It's for fac- like only faculty and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, These are the mess <laughs> behind the scenes that you never see. <laughs> uh, but, but it's but part of real life mm-hmm. deployment. Great. Yeah right 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 absolutely i think the second
0: month you know, my, or the f- sorry you guys
2: you were saying something. one the first month was all this technology uh, sort of uh, stuff that we had to deal with understanding bluetooth deployment models and so on mm-hmm. i think the mm-hmm. second month was spent understanding indian bureaucracy <laughs> It uh, turns out, right? So, I mean, we were sort of all these blue-eyed, well, you have this awesome app, meaning people in ICE are going to love it. Let's get it out to the field. And the easiest way to actually deploy an app, obviously everyone does that, is to go to your Play Store and download the app. So, we said, yeah, Cool. So we have done these three, four revisions of the app. We are ready to actually make it available broadly to the ISC community. So let's get it on the App Store. right? Uh, uh-huh. And uh, again, our, our lead developer, Nihar, he was helping with it. He's done some of these App Store releases in the past. So we go uh-huh. through, do that, put it in the App Store, and uh, then we start waiting. Okay, have we gotten a confirmation saying that it's being posted? And I think after four days or so, we get an email from uh, Google saying that uh, your app is in violation of Google's Policies, right? Okay. Uh, and we didn't sort of understand what that was, so we sort of filed uh-huh. an appeal uh, online. So we gave like the description of what the app does and so on. And we still got an email back saying that, "So sorry, no can do. And then uh, using our, our contacts within Google India, we actually reached out to some of the senior leadership. And it turns out uh, Google has a global moratorium on all COVID apps uh, from being posted on the Play Store unless it is backed by a government or a health agency. Right. So, which means, so this is your classic red tape, right? You need a NOC, yeah. a no objection certificate right. in the government for that. Right? Oh. So, and I think uh, Tarun and I came out of our hibernation. By then it had been <laughs> week five of the lockdown, right? We were all stuck mm-hmm. inside our houses. I think Tarun mm-hmm. and I came out of hibernation for the first time to step out to meet certain IAS officials in the government of Karnataka. <laughs> so, right. to see if we could solicit letter from them. The app took one month to develop. <laughs> it took two months to get the letter. To get the letter took two months. Yeah. right. Now, now we have it and we hope for Google will be happy with that letter. It's, it's currently under review. So they've actually allowed right. us to resubmit it. So let's see what right. happens in the next few days. Yeah, Right.
0: Okay. I mean, I have to say that the step from Google is, I think, kind of reassuring because yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, to have multiple apps, to have a free-for-all kind of technological crescendo might not be the most productive thing. So that's a good thing. But yeah, the red tape isn't... I
2: mean... (laughs) Uh, and I can well, sort of sympathize with the uh, meaning government officials as well, right? So even though this comes right. from IAC, there is already a sort of uh, zoo of other apps out there from different government agencies. And each government mm-hmm. agency wants to promote their own app and uh, maximize people mm-hmm. installing it and so on. Uh, and there's also a little bit of concern. Let's say this blows up in uh, our faces and uh, who are sort of signed off on that letter from the government is probably also going to be accountable to a certain extent, right? right so I can sort right, of right. Uh, understand that sense as well, given that back then there was such a very sensitive topic, right? I think you're right. So since we're talking about the number of apps that are out
0: there and that may that could be out there, I personally know of, of two. This is the RGAC2 app and the Aptamitra app, which is, I think, specific to Karnataka. And I think every state has possibly developed their own. So how does this compare... So this question, I think, is two parts. How does it compare with the other apps? And B, is there a potential for dovetailing in terms of information sharing and therefore greater accuracy of inferences, etc., cetera, etc.?
2: Cetera? So we are sort of... Even by the time we sort of came out with the fourth release, which is sort of the final release of the... Uh Go, Coronago app. Arigato had sort of uh, become the de facto national contact tracing app, right? So in the month, the government got act together and sort of cleaned up shop. Uh, but the key reason why we felt and we still feel that GoKoronaGo has a prominent role to play in contact tracing, because the way it's designed, GCG app is designed to sort of balance privacy and Health concerns, right? right? Because if you look at uh, many contact tracing apps around the world, right? So they fall into sort of two pockets, right? So one uh, where they have these are sort of launched by governments, the national contact tracing app, I mean, Singapore's traced together, mm-hmm. Aravissa from India, uh, some from Australia, I mean, UK had, had a failed attempt as well, and many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are pushed by the government. And uh, the way they work is that they store the data locally within the uh, phone, the contact data, mm-hmm. and then uh, they upload uh, the data to the back end if that particular individual who uh, sort of has the app is tested positive for COVID, right? So what they say is that they share their diary, their journal, saying that, hey, here are all the other phones that I interacted with, let's say over the past week or so. And then the government agency can reach out to such uh, phone devices and say that, hey, you are a primary contact. Why didn't you start taking... Uh, action, right? So, in a sense, this right. so this is what Karan was talking about earlier. Okay, okay. Yes, right. yeah. At the uh, okay, okay. Right. So, is contact tracing? Post-factor, right after the someone mm-hmm. has tested positive, and can still help with uh, faster contact tracing compared to manual contact tracing interviews and phone calls and so on. But there are sort of two key uh, limitations over here. So one is that you only get the primary contacts, the initial people who are immediately next to a COVID positive person. You still have to go and reach out to them, get hold of their contact data, and then sort of uh, sort of cascade it and so on. The secondary and tertiary contact tracing comes much more slower, right? And you need sort of consent from the uh, sort of individual to upload the data and so on. So there are sort of checks and balances in the process. But the advantage of this is that it it, it sort of preserves privacy to the extent that only in the case of a primary contact is the data going to go out of your phone. But the flip side, one besides sort of limiting secondary and tertiary contact tracing is only post-factor and doesn't allow you to preemptively Avoid the sort of propagation or risk of COVID in the first place, which the Go corona Go app does, right? So, in contrast right. to these other apps, we actually collect this contact data on a daily basis. So, in a sense, we get to look at your diary on a daily basis. But this diary has only anonymized data, right? It only has random device IDs. It doesn't have any individual information, itself, no personal information. Right? And what this allows us to do is almost build a contact network, which is a bit like your Facebook social network, like the friends that you have physical contacts that you have, right? And you build a graph out of that, a network out of that, and you can analyze this graph to understand who are potentially under a higher risk. Right. This could be because they are interacting with a lot of people on a daily basis. They are not practicing social distancing, or they might be essentially a connection between two clusters of individuals. One example uh, that I like to use is there are people uh, who uh, might have who might commute between IAC and NCBs, which is another research institution in uh, Bangalore. There's actually a bus right. that runs between the two, right? And these are individuals who can potentially take the infection from one cluster to another cluster, right? Which means that what was initially maybe a few thousand people getting affected might immediately double because of this particular individual who goes between them. And these are, again, high-risk individuals, right? So by having this contact data in a daily or a real-time basis, you can identify such individuals and proactively reach out to them, saying that, hey, maybe you ought to take much more precaution than the uh, average person. And you are, in case of social distancing, you ought to practice better social distancing, right? So that mm-hmm. you are not interacting with so many people. So these are all preventive measures that are very targeted. These aren't like a gentle message to everyone saying that wear a mask, right? So you essentially right, can reach right, out right, to a uh, fraction of populations that are most vulnerable, both for acquiring the virus as well as spreading it. So that's sort of the other difference. The second key distinction is that it's GCG is designed for institutional deployment, right? We do not, even though it will go to Play Store and all that, you cannot install it unless you have an invitation code I and mean, these invitation codes are only given to specific institutions that are signed up for GCG and the data nice. is owned by that institution. The data is not owned by the government, right? The government doesn't get oh. access to the data willy nilly. So in a sense, it's sort of things like ROG the trust is on the data staying on the phone, but the moment it goes out of the phone, it goes to the government. And uh, mm. again, there's always a little bit of uh, uh, concern whenever government gets involved in massive apps and potential data collection across the board and so on. So now you potentially trust your institution much better than let's say a government agency, right? So institution acts as a custodian for your data and they Mm -hmm. probably have your best interest in mind. And that's the second thing. So one is sort of global contact tracing allows you to do preemptive uh, sort of intervention. And secondly, data is strictly residential within the institution, not outside. Great, thanks, that that explains things a lot. if we can just unpack how
0: this actually works in a few sentences, if possible, Tarun, maybe you can help. That is to so say, for example, I have the app, right? So Vivek has the app, and Vivek is lives in gated community of let's say you know uh, three hundred houses. What happens? What is what does my diary look like? And and how does it feature that this yeah. information? So like you said. Uh, we each app user has a
1: device ID, which is randomly generated. And so I wouldn't know Vivek, uh, I would know Vivek's right. device ID. And the device ID is uh, advertised uh, by the phone. Um, and then it's also the other app apps are, which are around are scanning for such advertisements. So what okay. happens is when they come close to each other, the other phone would record your device ID when you're advertising and when the other phone is scanning and these happen uh, right. in a periodic interval of like every minute we, we keep doing this thing although it doesn't uh, drain your battery and from the tests that we have done it's less than 10 percent of battery oh, wow. devices uh, over an entire okay. day uh, oh, so, wow. okay. Because Bluetooth uh, operates on low energy, it's not good. If you are not con- yeah. making any connection, we are not doing any data transfer. We're it's just right. purely, you know, declaring that I am around, and you know, uh, the other phone right. is just picking up the signal. So that's uh, right. that's pretty much what we collect. And uh, uh, there's right. also the possibility of uh, inferring distance. That's something that we are currently uh, working on and doing mm. some experiments. Because Bluetooth signals also come with a signal strength. And the closer yeah. that you are with the other phone, the signal strength is better. So we try right. and uh, we're trying to see if we can infer distance, but this is a big challenge because again, back go, goes back to having different hardware on the phones, uh, the orientation. Right. There's, uh, you know, how uh, you uh, uh, the fo- is the phone out in the open or it's in your pocket and mm, you in the pocket casing right. you have on the phone. So yeah. uh, there are some of those challenges inferring distance that we're trying to uh, you know figure out. In addition, we have a the option of uh, the users have the option of sharing uh, gps data in addition to uh, bluetooth data uh, and this becomes critical because sometimes uh, you might not be in contact with a person but you might be in a shared space uh, that was visited by a covid positive individual and that uh, and you all uh, must have seen these articles where you know, the virus uh, is active on different surfaces. Yeah, for different on of time, right? So, yes, yes. in such cases, it's possible to uh, kind of figure out, you know, who were the individuals who were close to a certain geographical location, you know, maybe places, especially on campus, uh, students have to go to messes, for instance, to uh, to have uh, lunch and dinner. Right. So, right. these are places where they might not really interact, they might not, uh, you know, sit at the same table at the same time, but just uh-huh, because uh-huh. they are touching uh, you know these tables and so on it's possible that you know the virus could spread that way and uh, so we uh, do allow people to share gps if they wish to but that's not uh, necessary for
0: the app to function we do require bluetooth to be on yeah. on the time for you know collecting the device id related now let's say my device is number 12 the diary of number 12 on thursday today that's the 30th of july is available to my resident welfare association yeah. Am I right?
2: Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's, now, it doesn't, it's not available to them directly. It's available to the system managed by them. right? So even the institute does not look at it. For example, no one at IISC has ever looked at the contact graph directly. right? So that itself is managed. It's just analysis yeah. on top of the data is available to them and it's, Owned by them, right? So they can always say that. Well, the head of the institution can say, "Oh, I need to look at the entire contact data. There's nothing we can do that over that." Right? They own the data, but there are checks right. and balances in place, yes. right? That's to to, to really. prevent that as well,
0: right? Right, that, right. And to add that, to
2: that, that uh, yeah. yeah, we
1: have an advisory board, something that we had constituted, and we have a uh, chair of the advisory board who has, uh, you know, and we have a bunch of members uh, spanning different areas, uh, from uh, cybersecurity to some uh, doctors and student members, representatives and so on so all of these are in place uh, so that you know Individuals are comfortable in using the app and sharing the data and so on. And uh, any research that's done on human subjects is also subject to uh, human ethics clearance. So we are in the process of uh, getting that. Uh, our proposal is currently being reviewed and so on. So if we have okay. to publish research, we would require approvals from you know all of these boards. And even for doing contact tracing, we have a protocol where the health center doctors would approach the advisory board, get the approval, and only then go ahead with contact tracing. So uh, some
0: of these checks and balances are in place. Fantastic. That's absolutely great. I have a question about the uh, various applications, like where it can be used. So obviously offices, IT parks, apartment complexes. Are
2: schools and colleges a potential space as well? So one way to think about it is that the best use of the GCG app is for uh, sort of confined spaces, physically confined spaces like gated communities or institutions that are largely residential in Mm -hmm. nature where people spend most of their time within that confined space. Because one of the key metrics for success for digital contact tracing is the fraction of people who adopt it within that space, right? Mm. So which means, for example, having 10% penetration or 20% penetration all over India is much less effective compared to let's say 80% penetration of an institutional app within that institution. right? Uh, because beyond a certain threshold, and there have been some sort of uh, news articles that 60% or something is that threshold, unless mm. that fraction of people are using the app, there's so much leakage in the lack of contact tracing that it's pretty much useless. Right? So in that sense, this is more for enclosed spaces with a large degree of adoption. Right. So is there a
0: way, so this is a slightly selfish question. I'm a theater actor and a producer. Uh, so is there a way for this app to be effective in a closed space like an auditorium which has transient population uh, but on a daily basis
2: would that make sense Here's sir I think GCG in a sense has to work complementary to other apps and this goes to your earlier comment on how it's a dovetail with other apps like Aragisito uh, mm-hmm. I would actually recommend that uh, people install even with an IAC install both Aragisito and DCG, uh, because in a sense, uh, GokarnaGo will help identify these clusters, dense clusters within institutions, right? But then you right. have many of these clusters across Bangalore, mm. right? Mm. And Setu mm. will be the bridge between them, right? I Meaning, Setu is like bridge, right? In the sense that, that naturally has a it true in name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have high degree of accuracy and adoption within an institution using something like GCG, and then even though you have these sparse connections, uh, even if a few people who are actually moving around between institutions or out in the public space uh, have Mm -hmm. ArgoCetto installed, then that would help you tie the two together. And to a certain extent, for example, if someone like BBMP, who's sort of the local municipality, they want to do contact tracing because they are the nodal agency responsible for contact tracing in a COVID-positive case is found, then they'll actually reach out to the IAC's health center saying that, hey, we have managed to get hold of, let's say, Aravishita data, and we've done some digital contact tracing for that particular individual. Again, this is just, I'm assuming that's how the protocol works from yeah, yeah. To the end. But they'll also ask uh, the IAC's health center hey, do you have additional information that you can provide us for contact tracing? Right? And then right. the health center, this is the protocol that uh, Thorun mentioned, they would actually check with that COVID positive patient, right? Uh, see if they have uh, the app installed. And there's an informed consent process at that stage as well. There are two stages of informed consent from every GCG user. First, at the time they install the app, they actually have to go through a fairly approachable document right, that says what is actually going on. And this is right. available in English, Kannada, and Hindi. Right? And this is right. any layperson, even someone who's got basic literacy, can understand what's going on over here. And they consent to that. But then, and there's actually a feedback we got from our human subjects uh, ethics committee, people might sign up initially because they want to do the right thing and all that. But the moment they get tested positive, so there's a lot of stigma associated with the uh, COVID-positive subjects. So Mm -hmm. maybe they might have second thoughts about sharing that data for doing contact tracing when they're tested positive. So we actually have an additional consent that they have to provide to the health center, right, through an OTP mechanism.
0: That says, that, yes,
2: I'm willing to share my contact. In. Though they've already provided the data to the back end, that's yeah. not released to the institution. Right In that sense, mm-hmm. we are sort of another level of custodians saying that unless patient confirms, we will not release the data. Mm-hmm. And then the advisory board gets involved, which has students, doctors, uh, faculty. Uh, it's got administrative staff. It has uh, bioethicists from St. John's. And they also have to look at that particular case and say, yes, this is a valid case. patient has given consent the doctor has recommended. We can actually start contact. Really All these things hopefully get done within an hour or so. <laughs> right. th- but then the moment that's done, you have the entire contact data for that person. For
0: right. Person. That's really thorough. Is there best practices sort of handbook that this that GCG provides for the data analysis? Because I mean, it's all very well to have the data, but then someone needs to know how to read. it. So is there something like that you provide to the institution that signs up for it?
1: So again, David, in terms of contact tracing, we have uh, SOPs in place about mm-hmm. how to go about, you know, uh, requesting and most of the backend uh, procedures are automated so in case uh, you know a person tests positive we have a list of you know all their primary contacts secondary contacts tertiary contacts and also thresholds of how many what was the duration of contact so all of this uh, come uh, generated uh, from code in the back end and uh, right now uh, the idea is that uh, Everything is just going to flow through some dashboards and so on, and that data comes becomes available to the health center. Because in that situation, we don't want additional confusion and digging through the data and you know trying to explore new stuff. It has to be all set uh, in stone so that. You know, uh, yeah. contacts can be identified quickly. In terms yeah. of the research part, parts of it, uh, that's something that we're still like uh, exploring and working on about how we can do something more proactively. And uh, a couple of things that we show on the app, uh, one is called the social distancing score. And this uh, kind of tells you what's the number of new contacts you meet on a daily basis. So it kind of subtracts the uh, background uh, contact uh Information. If you are uh, living in a household with like two others, you know they are always there uh, near you mm-hmm. eh? and avoid it. And so it counts the number of new people uh, that you would meet and gives you a score. And this is some sort of a simple feedback mechanism. And this has nothing to do with COVID. Right? It's more, mm-hmm. more to do with kind of a lifestyle I just met during this period. And then we also show an anonymized contact graph, but it's a very local level. So we just uh, show a node for uh, for an individual and you know, who are their one-hop neighbors, as, again, as like a picture, and then their one-hop neighbor. So kind of uh, actually gives you a sense of, you might think that you're just meeting two people, but then those two people might meet many more. And so so you, you would want to really do social distancing to a good extent by looking at these feedback mechanisms. Right, right So right. those are the things that we've, we kind of provide right now as feedback. And this is directly on the app. The impact of that on social distancing is something that we are studying, and the impact of that on user engagement, and these are things that people might uh, install the app for a while, but do they use it continuously? That's that's where it becomes more effective, and so on. Again, long answer
2: to uh, to your question, but briefly add. Uh, uh, so, he, he, I think the contact tracing part, the the after someone's tested positive, that's fairly straightforward uh, yeah. and, and well-documented and so on. But the predictive part, the proactive part mm, based mm. on analysis of the network, mm, right? and that's mm. where actually I think both Tarun and I, we switch on to our scientist hat rather than our engineering hat, saying that only way to verify if some of, let's say, these risk scores are correct or not, right? you can have all these sort of models that you want, but the only way to actually validate it is when you actually have COVID-positive cases that are tightly correlated with high risk factors. Right, and that's sort of like something that you don't want to wish, right? You want to, to have <laughs> as few cases as possible. But True. until you have several cases that have been using the app and have, according to our various models, have a high risk score, it's only then that we can actually say that yes, these risk scores are actually meaningful or not. Right? The social distancing mm. is much more straightforward, but any more advanced yes. analytics will require some ground truth, which uh, we it'll sort of un- unfortunately it'll end up happening over time. Which yeah. is why, in a sense, we are also, though we've had multiple requests from uh, other institutions to deploy the app uh, and so on, we've resisted that because at the end of the day, we are not in the startup business. We don't have a product to sell, right? We, have, we want to make sure something works. And that's why the IAC campus is a nice test bed. It's, sort of, it's almost like a, the logo for uh, GoKartNogo is a sort of flask, right? <laughs> a scientific flask. So this is almost like right. our own laboratory, right? Within the campus. Right. Where we want to right. make sure that things work before we actually scale it out onto other institutions.
0: And I think this would be my last question. So now it is ready to scale out. It is going to hopefully be on the App Store soon for deployment. So A, is it free? B, is it, I mean, how do institutions sign up for it? Do they just, is there a formal process? Do they have to reach out to somebody or is it just from the from the store?
2: So the app is, first of all, I should acknowledge that uh, Okoronogo has been recently funded by the Department of Science and Technology through a research grant, right? So that's essentially helping pay for some of the Development staff that we've been able to bring on board besides our own students right. and also right. to run some of these services on the cloud because these cloud resources tend to be a bit expensive. So at least for the initial few institutions where we'll be piloting it, IAC is one of them. We've, NCBS has been partnering with us right from the beginning. It'll be deployed there soon. And for a few other educational institutions or nonprofit institutions, it will end up being free. Beyond that, it's more a question of operational costs, right? So keeping the resources up and going on the cloud and so on. So that means there are different models. One one is that people could host it on their own servers. or Mm -hmm. People could uh, sort of host it on the cloud and there might be a fee for that and so on. We haven't really, unfortunately, thought that far ahead. uh, Till we sort of make sure that it actually works uh, uh, Mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The second question I forget. uh, Uh, Which is how do institutions sign up for it? So, so, right now, we've just, uh, we, there's an open sort of notice in our webpage saying that institutions that are between, let's say, 1,000 or 5,000 people within some kind of a tap to campus, they can right. reach out to us. And then we can sort of talk to them in terms of how best to take things forward. Because we are interested in maybe having maybe a few or more of these pilots over the next upcoming months to see how right. this scales out and so on. And we also have some ideas around even federation of data. If There are software parks that are neighboring to each other, each one might have their own. Installation, but then there's some kind of a sort of a neutral broker like I see that sort of sort of ties the data across these different networks together as well. So those are things that are there, which will potentially be rolled out over time. Because looks like we, mean, COVID is with us for the foreseeable future. It's not like a one month or a six yeah. month kind of thing. It might be there for the next yeah. few years. So having yeah. sustainable solutions in place is going to be is
0: the is the key. Yeah. Very quickly to go back to something you had said earlier about Arugya Setu and GCG being installed together is probably the ideal scenario for you know effective uh, use of contact tracing etc has the government contacted you have you been in touch with the government to actually make this a reality uh, to use their sort of services to deploy it into more places etc has, has there been any such endeavor
2: right so we haven't sort of uh Well, in a sense, it's it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? That's uh, the honest answer, right? Because part Mm -hmm. of the value of Go Go is the privacy part of it, the institutional deployment, it is decoupled from the government. So that in itself is part of its USP. So one way to think about it is that both Argus and Go, Go, all that they do are effectively like your mobile hotspots that you have, which you broadcast your hotspot ID. So it's like broadcasting the hotspot ID, but not connecting the hotspot, right? And right. anyone can go around looking for these hotspots, right? So you right. don't need to have anything special, right? So both these apps are a bit like that, and uh, in a sense, in theory, both these apps can even without coordination talk to each other because the data is out there around you, right? It's flying around the IDs, right? But that's something that we have not. Worked towards because uh-huh. I think having these sandboxes are important, especially in a society like ours. We need to make sure data is compartmentalized, data ownership is clear, and uh, given that some of the our privacy laws themselves are under flux and uh, sometimes yeah. being diluted. Yeah. I think yeah. for fundamental rights of people being respected, they need to have clear idea about who has the data, who does not have the data, what it does, what it mm-hmm. doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are still some concerns, even though sort of uh, the apps uh, code is out in the public domain and all that. There is always this... Uh, Trust factor that is uh, uh, even within IAC, I should say, it's not just for the government. Even within right. IAC, right. there are still concerns about privacy. In fact, we did a sent out a survey a few days back to some of the students who are using the app. We have about some hundred or odd uh, responses. Half of them from people who use the app, half of them from people who don't. Uh, just to read out from that, if, you, if I could. So people who are using the app, right? The reason that they are using the app is to enhance the health and safety of the institution. And secondly, to contribute towards COVID research, right? So these are the primary reasons why they install it. And to a certain extent also to avoid lockdown and so on, right? right. For people who are not installing it, one of the key sort of one of the technology reasons because we still have the iPhone version is still not out. Uh, that's right. one of the reasons. But the second reason is... Because they're still concerned about privacy, privacy. and uh, trust, right? So even though we go through, jump through all these hoops, because uh, and it's not without reason. Right? People have been bitten once, bitten twice. Shy. Right? Yeah. We live in such yeah. a society. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So that's also Absolutely. part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean, it is. It's not an easy road, but I hope we get there because I think this is a valuable resource, and uh, I think the benefits of it will definitely make themselves apparent in some time if it's given the chance. So, is there anything else either of you would like to add? Uh, that you think we've missed out on that anybody you would like to acknowledge whose support you would like to acknowledge any, any thank yous anything that this is the time
1: oh yeah there's uh i think a big team uh, that we had uh, in building this app uh, starting with nihar uh, who's actually a 17 year old kid uh, who also helped uh, build the bmtc app wow so yeah i got to know him from some of the transit work that we were doing at IIC, and then uh, we also had uh, a big uh, group uh, from Yogesh's lab and uh, system at IIC a couple of uh, people helping out and building the backend. Crossbow Labs, uh, which uh, did us, uh, did the security testing for uh, for the app and uh, and uh, I guess ESD, uh, which Yogesh had already mentioned. And uh, yeah, a lot of faculty uh, who uh, you know have been uh, very supportive in testing out some of the initial releases and giving us feedback and uh, I think I'm sure I'm missing out on someone, Yogesh. Uh,
2: I think we've had a lot of support from the institute administration as well, because some of these things are intrinsically linked to some of the policies, how we sort of roll it out across the institution and so on. I don't think I've had so many interactions with the senior administration in my last six (laughs) years or in the last six weeks or two, three months. Uh, So, and that's always, it's nice to sort of know that, uh, you can do this on campus, right? Not every institution is like this, where they say that, hey, it's a call to arms. Let's bring in, pitch in all our best ideas and let's make things work. Let's use IIS as a test bed. Let's make sure that we put out some of the best ideas out there in the nation for people to use. And that's really a refreshing environment to work and be in. That's that's really great to know. I mean, we're all very... I hope
0: that people who are listening to this actually start to realize the, the, the legacy and the value of an institution like IISC and... And you know, the things, the possibilities that can stem from a space like that. So thank you very much, gentlemen, joining us today and good luck
2: with all your work. Right. And if I can make one last plug on, uh, if you want to know more about the app, you can go to gocoronago.app.app. So that's where you can sort of, all the information that we've talked about, most of it is in the public domain. Uh, So feel free to look it up.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information on this project, or on other projects developed at the IISC, please visit covid19.iisc.ac.in. That's covid19.iisc.ac.in.